and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we have part two of our discussion of Rule of Wolves by Lee Bardugo. If you listen to our episode that dropped yesterday, we knew that this was going to go very long because a lot happens in these books and we tried to come up with a natural breaking point there. So we are ready to dive back in and we are just going to dive back in without any of our usual preamble because uh, we're really kind of looking at this as all one big part of a whole here. And so on that note, let's pick back up with talking about Nina and Hannah. So, okay. So here's the thing about Nina's storyline. If you listen to our original episode on King of Scars, you know that we are not big fans of a lot of Nina's storyline in that book. We are very big fans of her processing through grief. It's beautiful. It never ceases to make me cry. All the stuff with Matthias in that book. But we did not love the what felt like a kind of forced romance between her and Hannah. It just like didn't feel it. What are your thoughts on that now that we got their full story? I think this book did a lot to retroactively make me like that storyline a lot more. I think the way that the Hannah kind of gender stuff was handled really well. Mm-hmm. I think making Nina's plotline more directly involved with Nikolai's was a really good call because mm-hmm. she felt way more um, integral to the story. The stakes felt really, really high there. And it, it I feel like most of her story last time was just like in a cabin in, in the woods and the snow, you know, and, and this mm-hmm. one just felt so like, it, it was like a political thriller, right? Yeah, no, and much more interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I, Liked it a lot more this time around. I don't like how it, I don't like parts or things about how it ended. Yeah. I'm still not entirely convinced by Nina and Hannah's relationship from a romantic perspective. It just doesn't speak to me. And I don't know how much of that is just because I just look really so loved her and Matthias. Their relationship mm-hmm. worked for me on on every level, the the animosity, the hate to love to hate to love just was so good. I do like more here. This book kind of works through more her, her feelings for Tana and how like the memory of Matthias might affect some of that. So we got more rumination on that, which helped more. It just doesn't, their chemistry like doesn't leap off the page for me. And, and that's fine. This doesn't mean I don't, I'm not happy for them. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think their very last scene together worked really uh well for me and we'll talk about that here in a bit but um yeah for for whatever reason again it's hard because as i just gushed about nico and Zaya, they're like one of my maybe top two <laughs> fictional couples of all time so it's like eh, anything else it's hard gonna, to like, say, yeah it's hard to have another yeah. pairing in this book and have it right compare in any way to nico and Zoya. i did i bought their relationship way more in this one yeah so I, I think you're right. I don't think the chemistry necessarily jumps off the page, but there there were moments like um, Hannah cast her a single glance. I want to throw you onto my horse and ride as fast and as far away from here as we can, not side saddle. And I w- I read that and I was like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> this is, this is kind of sexy and it is kind of sexy. Yeah. They did have sexy times too, which mm-hmm. like good for them. Although like, again, because 
Nikolai Zoya shipper than I am. The fact that I didn't get anything equivalent, like it's finally best of the fanfic <laughs> is for, but like, no, they, they definitely had some nice moments. And I think too, it does really benefit from the fact that like it is separated so much more from her initial grieving of Matthias, which was part of my problem in the first book. It felt like emotional whiplash for her to like grieve him so strongly and then flip to like to immediately him. bury him and then meet yeah. somebody like that same day. Yes. But uh, ultimately, they they did work for me, and I'm happy for them. And we'll talk about our caveats on that in a minute here. But what I really like to, in addition to the political thriller stuff, which is kind of hard to talk about without getting too nitty gritty with a plot, because it is a lot of um, she's also like some mini heists here. She thinks a lot about the crows and the lessons they taught her, which I really really loved. But she is doing a lot of things like trying to gather intel, which is really fun. It felt like a spy thriller. Yeah. I really liked that. But what she's also doing on top of that is my my favorite part of it is the subterfuge of like trying to get the people of Firda to look at the Grisha as saints and their, their powers is miraculous. And she's the one who plants the seed of Sancta Zoya. And they're they're pulling off these whole, like Nina's little network is pulling off these whole like demonstrations and stuff like where it's just like a big play act. Right. And it felt very crows. Like I think God, she was missing them. She really was missing them. And I like that too, because I think she did think about them in the last book, but it felt more palpable here. And, and that was mm-hmm. really good. I like this quote kind of illustrates exactly why I like that so much is because it ties into like what Matthias wanted. They're claiming Grisha are the favorite children of Jell, that their powers are actually a sign of his blessing. Those words put an ache in Nina's heart. Matthias had said as much before he died. Her friendship with Hannah had helped to heal that wound. This mission, this purpose had helped, but the pain was still there and she suspected it always will be. And so I like we're recognizing Matthias and we're recognizing his effect on what um, she's doing and that is what he this is what they talked about doing right like that there would be mm-hmm. hope for the people of Firda, and you know she's doing that you know maybe with her little miracles Nina could give Firda something to rally around a reason to question the hate and fear that had been Broom's weapon for so long so it's just she's playing on everything that Matthias wanted for them and what they had talked about she's using her crow's skills it's all it's a huge con like it's yeah it's great but what I think uh, is also really interesting, and it took me rereading to kind of figure out her her kind of arc in this book, because admittedly, as was the case with King Scars for me, I found myself like flipping a little faster through Nina's chapters or maybe just not absorbing them as much because I wanted to get back to, again, what I perceived as the main action. She is much more part of the main action in this book, but I, I had my, my two babies pining over each other and the other POVs, so I had to get back. But this whole idea of mercy versus revenge here, and it's so interestingly done, particularly as it comes to this guy, Joran, who is the prince's like bodyguard, and he's a member of the Druskella, and it comes out that he is the one who killed Matthias. And like, I did not see that coming. That shocked yeah. me. That shocked me, but it comes on the heels of like a very interesting revelations with him. He's being horribly abused by the prince and Nina finds his like secret shrine to Alina, like Sancta Alina, which is very Mm -hmm. sacrilegious and Purita. And he, you can tell in that scene is wondering about like what it means to be a soldier and be do bad things. And he, he wants to be a good person. 
And uh, I, I think that that all is teased out then in retrospect, when you go back and it's her, her struggling between mercy versus revenge is, is so well done. I mean, she says this right at the beginning, Matthias had pleaded mercy for his people, for the man who'd been a second father to him. Nina still wasn't sure if she'd done the right thing by granting it. She's talking about broom specifically in that moment. But she, she continues to work for it and she wants to kill Joran like instantly. And she doesn't. So I, I really like that she thinks about Matthias. He had said, save some mercy for my people. Matthias could have told her it had been a young Juskala who'd murdered him. Maybe he'd even known Joran's name, but instead he pleaded for his country and his brothers. He hadn't wanted her to seek revenge. But what about what she wanted? What about the sorrow she can never be free of? And her eventually, like her deciding to show Joran mercy ends up saving her and Hannah later. It does. So, mm-hmm. Yep. And and that's kind of, you know, like thanks, Matthias. Yeah, thanks, Matthias. I mean, that that's great. You know, yeah, he he does because she saves his life, he saves Hannah's life. He's in on the subterfuge at the end yeah. of who they're going to pass themselves off as. And it's and it's even so after Nina like attacked him and so he he continued to try to protect her. He you know, he was like, Oh, I made a made a move on her and because he didn't want her to get busted. Yeah. So I think I mean I I don't know. I, I felt kind of weird about Nina wanting so badly to kill him, like when he was obviously pretty repentant and yeah. was obviously a child and an abused child. And so her I like I understand like one, you know, I understand revenge. I love revenge. Give mm-hmm. it to me. But her being so single-minded about wanting to kill him for a while there, I I was uncomfortable with it. And I'm not usually uncomfortable with that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was totally uncomfortable with it. I feel like, you know, this is a good point to know how much younger Nina is than Nikolai and Zoya. And I think that one of the things we've always loved about Nina is that she's just such a firebrand. She's so like committed to what she's into. So it kind of tracks for me that she was like full throttle, like into revenge mm-hmm. mode at that I think point. it definitely tracks. I just don't like, like how I don't, it felt like, like too long. Like, I, I don't know. I would have understood it as like, um, like a knee jerk reaction to him. And then she kind of talks herself out of it, but it was like, like plotting and planning and like actually attacking him. Yeah. Yeah. What I didn't like about it wasn't necessarily so much the plotting. It was that the reason she doesn't is, uh, because Hannah, her vengeance could wait. It was one thing to sacrifice her own life, but she wouldn't leave Hannah captive to a future. She'd never wanted. She wouldn't abandon her to fend for herself in this place. So like, on the one hand, it's kind of like what we talked about before. It's like we don't like romance as the catalyst for growth for characters. Mm-hmm. At that point, their relationship is still kind of friendship-based in a lot of ways. Um, but that still does just kind of... Uh, I don't know if it necessarily bothers me that that is what the path that she goes on and why she chooses not to follow through on that. I think it's part of her larger growing and working through and channeling her grief and and what she needs to do but like she it, i guess it is more it's not like romance it's like self-sacrifice she's like i want to protect this person and that, i mean i just talked myself into liking it is where <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
because it's no, not- but I think you are right though. Cause I think as a motivator, it's kind of a weak one right. as a motivator for personal growth. Yeah. No, compared to, we have Nikolai going to sacrifice himself for the whole of Ravka. Right. Um, it is. Yes, it is. But I, I do like it. Sometimes we've talked about this before on this podcast. Sometimes you need one person to be that person to like set you on your right path or like kind of mm-hmm. change your thinking on things. And I think that's kind of the problem with Yeah. That's kind of the problem with the Nina and Hannah stuff though. Right. Because Hannah is a, the person who kind of changes the direction of Nina's entire life, but yeah. in such an extreme way that we feel like Nina loses herself on the way. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I would have liked to see her do some of this on her own. And it would have been, it's hard to say again, we, we talked just a, uh, in our first part about how, Nikolai and Zoya, like they just interweave so well together. And I think it, and obviously Hannah goes on her own journey here too. So they are also kind of weaving together on this journey, but it just doesn't, you don't see it. And maybe it's the lack of Hannah POV that really impacts that here in this case. There's just something about it that it doesn't feel as natural or as earned. Or again, like we said, that Nina does any of this because for her, for her own reasons, for her own, mm-hmm. um, for anything besides Hannah, which is because it feels like she goes from zero to a million with Hannah, like yeah. from meeting her to instantly giving up her whole life, uh, for, for them. Yeah. So I think that's, what yeah, we should probably mention about Hannah, um, yeah. is, uh, that Hannah is, I mean, they don't get too deep into it. Hannah never gives themselves a, a you know different gender pronouns um or a name so for simplicity's sake we're re- referencing them as Hannah or might use female pronouns only because we don't have right the information yes yeah that's a really good point it's hard to say you know cuz she is uh referred to as she up until a certain part in the book and then it's kind of un- unclear and it doesn't clarify it anymore. So uh, we always try to be very mindful of pronouns here, but we just don't know here, but that whole uh, storyline was really great. And I, that worked for me really a well. lot. Yeah. Um, it's a great representation. I think that when she's, you know, she talks about how she'd cut her hair short and, of scars and how she liked it better that way. And uh, she, even though she's a ta- she can tailor herself and make it grow, she doesn't want to. And Nina mm-hmm. says, you're beautiful no matter what. All that. I love and- the way Hannah tries to drop all these, all these hints or like send these feelers out for Nina to see how Nina mm-hmm. would feel about it. Like, like, oh, I could grow my hair, but I don't want to. Or how would you feel about this? Or trying to kind of be like, well, I don't like dress. I don't like looking pretty. I don't like jewels and sparkles. And it's not, it's not so much that I just would prefer to wear pants. It's that I don't feel myself. I feel deeply uncomfortable and unhappy in this image. What's the hate? Nina asks silk velvet jewels. Easy for you to say. I feel even more wrong than usual. I mean, like that's like that's exactly what I mean. We can't speak to this ourselves as mm-hmm. cisgendered women, but we that seems so true to everything I've read about what it is 
is like to question your gender identity and it's their value like it of that fantasy and yeah I, it's great i think it was beautifully and sensitively handled and i i love the the solution at the end for that for hannah i think the solution at the end is is great what i don't like about it is just the nina part where nina has to live as somebody else for or she's she's dedicating herself to to live as somebody else for the rest of her life essentially. Yeah, so let's compare this from Hannah. I'm not trapped, Nina. Hannah blew out a, tra- a breath. What if I told you that there's a rightness in this body that ever since I understood what tailoring could be, I haven't been able to stop thinking about what might be. Great and so affirming and so wonderful, but then Hannah says this to her. Would you wear a false face forever? Well, Mila may develop some new hobbies and stop wibbling and wringing her hands so much. But yes, for the dream of you, I could. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. You know, and reading back, there's some things here that kind of prime um, us for this a little bit. When they think that the uh, mother or something from the convent comes... To, mm-hmm. And they're like, they're going to get in trouble at the beginning. And turns out she's just a Robkin spy. She's Grisha. And she'd been living in Fierda and masquerading as this woman for 13 years. And Nina thinks 13 years, Nina couldn't fathom, fathom it. Do you never, do you miss home? She felt like a child asking every day, but I have a cause just as you do. And obviously at the end, Nina and Hannah have a great cause here. They are going to rule Fjorda in secret together. Like that is so great. We have two Grisha, um, both of whom, uh, not, not just that it's not just Grisha who are hunted in Fjorda or limited in Fjorda. It's women too. Mm-hmm. And Hannah is understands what it is to exist as a woman in Fjorda. Yes. And obviously Nina does too. Yes. So it's it's great for Fierda. It's absolutely amazing for Fierda. I am really hopeful for the ways in which they're going to change that entire society. I just feel bad that, and maybe, and, and Nina obviously thinks that this this sacrifice on her part is worth it for the yeah. things that she, good things she'll do in Fierda and to be with Hannah. Yeah. But for me, it's still I still feel really kind of sad about it that she has just given completely her entire identity gone she's somebody else for the rest of her life yeah and it's not even just that it's that in the six of crows duology nina is such an important character for who she is and what she looks like i Mm -hmm. mean it sounds trivial but when you have so many girls and women and just people generally read those books in love. And we talked about this at length on the podcast, love the idea that this bigger girl is undeniably beautiful and has the world in her grasp and can do anything with that beauty. Not despite the fact that she is fat, but because she is like, that Mm -hmm. is so powerful. And she's such a force Everything we get in the King of Scars duology for Mina is a diminished version of Mina because she's undercover the entire time. And she jokes about it at the end. Like, I'm not going to be the same little timid Mila. I'm going to try to like change her. That's not Nina. So to strip away her physicality, which is really important to a lot of readers, plus her her bombastic personality is Mm -hmm. a really hard, really tough pill to swallow. It makes me really sad. You know, Zoya says this at the end, though. You know, 
She was going to let Nina go. Nina Zenek was a soldier. Zoya had trained her well, and she had the right to choose her own path. And you know what? I needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, Nina's happy with her choice. So yeah, we should be too. Mm -hmm. Still sad though. It is really sad. I, you know, we don't know what the future could hold for them in Fierda. And I, it's just like, I think that's probably maybe what is hard to about the Hannah storyline. I think back to Matthias saying like, you're everything. Like he's, I forget what that quote is, but he's like, you're not just this. You're not, you are everything, Nina. He's overwhelmed by Nina. Hannah's I've never seen that version of Nina. And I love that she, that Hannah loves Nina as she's being presented mm-hmm. to Hannah, but like, it's not the same. And it makes me a little sad. It makes me very sad actually uh, to think about it. So and it's, Hannah's it's, never even seen Nina's real face is, is wild. Really, and they talk about that too. It's so, I think one of the things that also kind of struck me too in this book is, Hannah figures out pretty quickly after Nina gets the reveal that Joran killed Matthias, that is this something to do with Matthias? They never talked about it. She says, you talk in your sleep. And also my father, like, I know who Matthias is. And do you think he didn't like curse Nina Zenik, the woman who like took his most favored Druskel away from him? They like never even have these like conversations about Matthias. Like, <laughs> and, and what, Nina's motivation is her true motivation for wanting to change Fyrda from within. Mm, yeah. I don't know. But overall, yeah, we really like like where it ends up in a general sense, but with caveats, huge caveats, mm-hmm. actually. And I could over- I love everything for Hannah. Like love Hannah. I love everything. Hannah so- everything for her for her story is working out like you know, everything's coming up, Hannah. I'm just sad that Nina is sacrificed on the way. Yeah, exactly. Even looking back to King of Scars, I never had an issue like with Hannah and who mm-hmm. she was. No, not at all. Like Hannah is great. But yeah, it, it feels like it, the loss of a character. And it's not a case where like she's separated from her friends and it feels different. And Nez is gone and away from all of the crows. But Inej is living like the truest version of herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with Nina. And it makes me, I, I, I would really love to hear more from Lee now, as time goes on and we get to sit with him process of where this came from. It was such an, it made so much sense and natural sense to have. If you're going to have one crow and you're going to tell Nikolai's story, you pick the Robkin crow. Like it's great. It makes sense. I agree. She needed to go on this path fill her and Matthias's dreams and to honor his legacy. And she thinks that at the end there too, she'd honored Matthias in this path somewhere between revenge and redemption was the right one. My place is with the wolves. And I love, I love that in, a, in, in essence, in, mm-hmm. in, I just don't want the execution of it. it. Makes me sad. Yeah. And no matter how much I think about it or like chew on it, it actually kind of gets worse for me. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy reading her chapters more, even though I said I like skim them maybe a little faster than the other stuff. It's true, yeah. but like I liked it all. She did feel like Nina in some of those moments, but it's because she was doing very Nina-like things. She was she was engaged in subterfuge in a fun way, but none of it felt ultimately feels as true to the duology. 
Yeah. Always have a duality. <laughs> I mean, that's not again. It is kind of like a downer, right? It is a little bit of a downer. It's hard to win. We love everything else so much in this book. And I do love that she gets to see Inej at the end. I like that she, so she shows up at the coronation wearing like a very like sultry dress. So mm-hmm. she's reclaiming her agency in some ways. It seems like we get some hints of that. Maybe like an epilogue with them would be helpful. I would love like a short story of them in the future, just so I can get a sense that like she's okay. Yeah. And, and I would about- like to think too that she could maybe kind of slowly tailor herself back to Nina. Nina loved herself, man. And it's just, it makes me sad that yeah. she's not going to live in her own body. Living in a place too, where it's so repressed and hopefully obviously they'll change things. But at one point, like they have a party and Nina like gets excited because she thinks there's going to be champagne. And Hannah's like, no, where, where do you think we are? It's not champagne. I'm like, just let her have some champagne. Mm-hmm. She didn't get a single waffle in these entire two books, friends. And that is just unacceptable. Yeah. I think now it's probably a good point then to pivot since we've talked about Nina and Hannah, uh, but particularly talked about Nina and uh, the crows and what we liked about her thinking about them. I think it's a good time to talk about the incredible crows stuff we got in this book. And uh, we are going to be joined as we teased earlier by a special guest for that. Have fun. So now we are joined by return of a special guest to discuss a particular part of the book, the part featuring some of our favorite characters from Six of Crows. Uh, we could not do this. In, in fact, she threatened us if we were to do this without her. We could not do this without the return of our friend, Jesse, who, if you will recall, was on our Six of Crows and Cricket Kingdom episode. Hey, Jesse. Hi, thank you for uh, for having me. Um, I'm really glad I didn't have to resort to murder or any of my <laughs> my threats. So this this all worked out well for everyone. No, it works. It's all very full circle. You know, all of our Grishaverse collaborators returning for this one makes sense. Yes, it feels good. Feels right. It does feel right. We no, we really couldn't do it without you. Did you say that you knew where I live? And you would come to my house? Yeah, you did. But like, <laughs> it's fine. I don't I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Plausible deniability. I like it. So uh, this is just going to be a little segment here to break from the main episode and talk about, I think, something that was beyond all of our wildest dreams when we contemplated what we would get in terms of a crow or crow's cameo in this book, which was... A legit heist. We got a heist. Oh, the scream I let out when they said, <laughs> oh, I think I know a thief. I, I, it was like in the middle of the night because <laughs> despite having a child and a full work day, read this entire book in one day, this 500 and some page book. Priorities for all of us. And then this is kind of towards the back part of the book too. So it's like, what, what are you supposed to do at that point? Just- have them tease a thief in Catterdam. And no, we were already reading. so deep into it by that point, too. Yeah. Like, this is almost, this is like at the two thirds away mark. So it's like, okay, no, you have to have to keep going. Uh, and I but, think we were reasonably expecting like 
like probably an Inej cameo because Lee has tweeted about it before, possibly a Jesper one just because of, um, oh, for reasons that didn't even end up being true. But all of them, we got all of them. We got Kaz. I I really did not think we were going to get Kaz. I didn't think she would do it. I mean, I, I did see an interview with her, maybe just like a Instagram Q&A where she was, someone had said, is this going to break my heart? And she said, you know, there is a lot of really intense stuff and a lot of really dramatic stuff, but it's also very, there are light and like fun parts. And up until this point in the book, it's really a lot of just intense stuff. So the fact that we get this heist is a really good way of breaking up, I think, the tension. So it does make sense that, and she loves the characters and you can totally tell uh, so, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was more than my wildest dream. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. I think because it is really in the grand scheme of things, it's like three chapters. So I think we can just go ahead and walk through some of our, our favorite moments of those chapters because there's a lot to choose from. I basically have the entirety of those chapters highlighted in my Kindle. Yeah, I hand wrote, I think, like six or six double space pages of notes here. So. <laughs> well, you know. It was it was really exciting. So we get this tease that they're gonna go to Caterdam where there's a thief who can get the what is it? Is it titanium to mm-hmm. build their their missiles that they need to build? And it's just like from moment one. Okay, well, I like this moment too. This I'll I'll start us off here. Zoya, I love Zoya being Zoya at all times, and I love when we get a beloved character from a different character's POV and they don't have that same feeling towards them. So they get off the boat in Katarnam and Zoya's just like, why isn't he here? Couldn't medicine at the dock. The exact quote is, even with a pelican on your head, you'd still be the king of Ravka and it wouldn't kill that barrel rat to show a bit of respect. And I love it. And I do love the implication there too, because it talks about how, Kaz wouldn't even respond to any of his like diplomats letters trying to reach him. Like Kaz is like, bitch, if you want something from me, you're going to have to hand write that letter yourself. And I I respect him for that. I respect him for that too. It's great. This scene was so rewarding on reread because obviously the beggar that shows up, we find out is Kaz. So when you go back and you read these scenes, the reveal feels a lot more foreshadowed. You know, the beggar has a walking stick and (laughs) (laughs) I know I wrote that in my notes. I was like, how did I just not even like just completely pass that by? Yeah, that's such a random detail. He's duped me too. I know. Well, and then there's even a moment when he's Kaz reveals himself and Nikolai says, I should have known. And Keza says, yes, you should have, which is very meta because like, we should have known. <laughs> why, why didn't we know? Well, and they say later too, like as he's revealing himself that his the cane he was using had a crow head on it. So like, come on. The fanciest cane a beggar has ever had. Like, come on. That's on you, Nikolai. How did you not see that? Also this quote, spare a coin for an old fool what's lost his luck. Kaz is so extra about that. Like, I, you know, he's got to be bored, right? He's just fucking around. Yeah. Well, that's my, I have kind of two takeaways on that. Number one, I, I immediately thought like, oh, he's kind of channeling Nina in this moment, which is great. Like he's lost his biggest chame- chameleon in a lot of ways in Nina. Uh, she had that great ability to take on different personas. And I think that he's just on the street doing it himself at this point. And I do think he is also bored, which we will talk about a little bit later. I have some thoughts on that, but yeah, that's just what a great intro. 
And I really, it, it really helps because you, when, when knowing that it is Kaz eavesdropping on their conversation is really nice and rewarding too, because the conversation that Zoe and Nikolai are having is really rich and thoughtful about how they want to take the good parts of Ketterdam and bring them to Ravka. And they talk about, you know, just how you can be who you want to be. And, how, you know, and Zoe is like, well, there's indentures and all this stuff. And Nikolai is very idealistic and, and has all these visions. And I feel like a lot of the things that he wants for Ravka Kaz would also want in like an ideal world, even though he would like never share it. And that's a really good point because then I think at the end, we can talk about how he handles the reveal of Nikolai Steven, but I don't think Kaz would ever trade in on that secret because I think as he says, and even though Jesper doubts it during this, that he has a conscience, he does. And then that's just made him better throughout the course of his two the two books that we got from them previously. So, you know, I, I think that you're right, Jesse, like he, he's, those are things that he would want and admire in Nikolai. And it's, it's nice to see. <laughs> and he also knows that Nikolai has a thing for Zoya too. Okay. He like is able to glean that through the conversation. Because well, he's, he's following them all down the street. So he's listening to their banter and their flirting. So by the time they get there, he's like, I know what's going on between these two. But well, also, we haven't mentioned like the biggest where where Kaz is waiting for them as the old man. Yeah. Oh my god! Because I can't talk yet. about it because I'm going to cry. <laughs> so he has turned Pekka's emerald whatever establishment. And Jesse, take it away. He calls it the Silver Six. <laughs> Silver Six. I think this is. I, I mean, first of all, I find it delightful, and second of all, I find it kind of astonishingly sentimental from Kaz Brecker to kind of like build this shrine to his friends. And I I love it so much, like showing the softer side in this gambling den that he's created. Just a throwaway line too. She just Mm -hmm. like, I totally missed it because I just wanted to know what would happen. And then we all had the reveal later that he reunited that. It makes me so happy though that it's like such big personal growth from Kaz. And I think we do see a lot of that in this chapter. I do want to, before we move on to like where I think we have big growth coming up here is what he specifically says to Nikolai is like, I can see you have plenty to distract you these days. And it's like, I'm calling the kettle black, Mr. Kaz Brecker. Like you and Nikolai are both like cut from the same cloth in terms of your distraction from these very like, incredible women in your lives and we see exactly how that plays out for Kaz and and the whole reason he agrees to the heist so that's great um then you know they're chatting they go into the crow club which is also expanded we love our boy so big he's so successful (laughs) I mean that's probably another reason he's just wandering around in costume right because like what do you do once you've reached the top like he's had these goals for basically his entire life and now he's reached him and he's like all right now what his girl is <laughs> off on a ship doing wild things so he's dressing up like an old man and following i'm people. so proud of him <laughs> yeah, i love it so much so they like walk through the crow club and then all of a sudden they're in a secret tunnel and like they're going under the canals in Ketterdam. and Nikolai says when did you build this tunnel and he says when i needed yeah he says when i needed to but where does the tunnel lead immediately to uh why well, i jesper's house our boys best friends i have in my notes that he definitely built that tunnel just to harass them (laughs) just to have like some secret way to like go bug them in the middle of the night 
afford to like not let the world know he's soft for his friends. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a moment where Nikolai speaks Ravkin or whatever, and like Kaz understands him, and there's like an understanding that Kaz speaks Ravkin because it's like useful to him. Like I'm just like, how many languages does he know? Tell me how brilliant my boy is. I need to know. (laughs) Of course he does. Of course he does. So uh, while they're walking there, though, he like basically tells them why he's there, and Kaz is like, nah, I'm not gonna do that, and then. Nikolai drops the bomb, which again shows that he and Kaz are exactly the same in this regard. I have something that you want safety for the wraith, which of course. And then he tells he tells Kaz like, "Well, there's these these like submarines or whatever, and and she could be in danger because of them." And Kaz is like, "Oh, and so could the guy who invented them." And I love Nikolai's response where he goes, but it so happens that when this technology was granted to the Kirch, the very wise king of Ravka, have you met him? Unusual for someone to be so smart and so good looking. I just, I love Nikolai. I thought I was going to like burst into flame, like on my couch as I was reading this, because I was like, it's my two favorite boys together. And they're, so oh God, ridiculous. they're going to do it. They're going to do a heist. They're gonna do a- the um, banter is so well done. There's yeah. just... It's very yeah. smooth. Yeah. The competence level between the two of them. Yeah. And there are so many, like Zoya draws a bunch of like direct comparisons between mm-hmm. the two several times over these couple of chapters too. Yeah. Like she talks too about how maybe Kaz was like Nikolai, a boy with an unquiet mind, a man in perpetual need for a challenge. Like he's basically is like, yeah, no, I've thought about how to like, like break onto this uh, secret military base and get the titanium. And uh, of course you did. But the real reason he does it, not the challenge for our girl, for his girl. And we love it. I love that Nikolai notes that like he kind of stumbles or like wobbles a little bit when he hears Inej's name. Oh God. Yeah. Well, then, okay. Yes. Like, let's be real, my dude. And Nikolai's like, oh, I hear that this woman, like, who says she's the wraith, is actually known as Gaffa. And he's like, never heard of her. (laughs) (laughs) He literally, at the end of Crooked Kingdom, goes to Nikolai to get her the boat that's called the wraith. Like, do you think Nikolai wasn't going to, like, look into that and figure out I like that his instant response is just to lie, even if it's a stupid lie. Well, and I think that that shows the most out of anything here, even more than the hand bobbling. Like, Kaz is always so smooth. And for him to just tell such a terrible lie in that moment really shows how in deep he is. And I like it. Even later, they bring up Inej when Kaz is trying to convince Jasper and and Wyland to to go and... (laughs) And, and he's like, it's for a Ned. And they go, why do you say so? And it's just so cute. I just I love, love that moment so yeah. much. Because Wyland's just like, no, we're not. I don't want to get involved in illegal shit. We're not doing this anymore. And then the second he name drops a Ned, she's like, why didn't you say so? Let's do it. Yeah. When he name drops her too, he's like, he refuses to like look at anyone. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's like looking at his cane. It reminds me of um, the lint picking off scene in Avatar. <laughs> The invisible lint. Yeah. He's just like, you know, it's uh, for Inej. Like, okay. <laughs> that The whole build up to that is great, too. We get, like, domestic Jasper and Wyland, which, I mean, I think if you've listened to our Six of Crows episode, I 
have probably the weirdest, softest spot for them. So to see them being so domestic and happy made me very happy. And like, and they're taking care of his mom. She's yeah. happy. And- I loved that just like one line. Like that's all mm-hmm. he needed to give us yeah. was this one line to let us know that she's okay. She's happy. She's painting. It, it was just perfect. It was, yeah, it was so well, so well done. And just like the banter between them of this whole exchange makes me laugh. This is Zoya talking about how there has to be a Grisha in the house. Has he never been trained? The work seems rudimentary. Jasper sniffled. I thought I had a certain rustic elegance. No, said Wyland. He hasn't been trained. He's stubborn that way. Independent, corrected Jasper. Pig-headed, but stylish. Kaz wrapped his cane on the floor. And now you know why I don't visit more often. <laughs> it was, I loved all of that. And then, like, this was very soft for me. Again, I'm going to, like, swoon over these boys for a second here. Kaz Wyland said, we'd prefer not to do anything illegal. That's not strictly true, said Jasper. Wyland would prefer it, and I want to keep Wyland happy. Uh, it's just, it's it's all too good. But, yeah, they're immediately on board for, for Inej, and we love that. And it's so rewarding, too. We talked a lot in our last podcast about how, like, and as just the best friend out of the crew, like she's the one Matthias initially warms to because it's just so clear. She's such a good person and I'll do anything for her. She deserves it. She deserves that loyalty. But it's nice that they're all still like, even if Kez doesn't come over all the time, which like I highly doubt because he literally has a tunnel that leads to, mm-hmm. to their house. <laughs> Uh, that the camaraderie is still there between them, even without Nina and without Inej, who you one would argue might be the glue that mm-hmm. was holding them together. So the fact that the three of them are still like seeing each other enough where Jesper specifically not allowed to open the door for Cass, <laughs> like that, that makes my heart warm. And, you know, there's a moment where Wylan's like, we don't need money. And Jesper's like, isn't it glorious? And it's so nice to see Jesper so relaxed and he's clearly using his powers because Zoya notices like the work of a fabricator so we know that he's working on not repressing his powers so maybe he doesn't need a lot of his vices as much anymore because he doesn't have to compensate so it's just they're so happy and well adjusted I mean for them like yeah Kaz is (laughs) planning heist still but I love too though like we've talked a lot in our episode too about Kind of the fraught relationship between Kaz and Jesper and how he puts a lot of his feelings about Jordy onto Jesper and how they have this kind of really tenuous relationship in a lot of ways and how Jesper is kind of like in love with Kaz for until he meets Wylan really. And so it's just nice to see that they've like gotten to this place where it's like that's all kind of water under the bridge. I'm over here still thinking about the silver six. (laughs) We could have just had that be the segment. Mm-hmm. that could have been all she gave us honestly like she could have not had Kaz I mean I'm so glad we had him but like she could have just given us like a reference to them being in Ketterdam and seeing the silver six and a comment that like oh Brecker's like taking over the city and like I would have perished and now I've perished like yeah. seven times and this is my like seventh ghost back here talking <laughs> with you <laughs> I mean, there's like a line like early on where in Nina's POV where she says something about Kaz's haircut and how she hopes Inej had gotten him to fix it. And like that was when I thought that that would be all I would get. And so it's like highlighting this little like scrap of this little morsel yeah. being like, oh, my God, please. And then we get this like huge meaty scene a, with them. A full blown meal from Libor Diego. It's so good. <laughs> One thing, though. Hey, guys, what do you think about this? 
line because it like gives me a little like trepidation about like how Kaz and Anuj are. And I think that's probably for me the biggest like I guess if I'm gonna have a disappointment is that like we don't get a direct Kaz and Anuj interaction. But at some point Jesper says like if Anuj were here and Kaz like grimaces and he's like you keep saying that but she's she's not is he just like upset because he wants her to to be there or is he upset because like they're not in a good place like i don't know what do you guys think it means i read to me like he just misses her yeah okay that makes me feel I mean, better <laughs> i mean maybe this is a headcanon or not but from the way that Number one, Kaz knows exactly where Inej is because Nikolai like says some comment about like the Wraith's like ship or, and, and Kaz knows all about it. Sure. So he's either, I mean, he's, I mean, Kaz knows everything. So it's not so far-fetched that he wouldn't know that, but still the fact that he knows where she is at all times. And then also that he would take his payment from Nikolai, this device that would need to be put in an edge's hand somehow. So I That's true. like to think that he knows that at some point he will, in the near future, he will see her and be yeah. able to give it to her. Also, if an edge there, the whole heist wouldn't really matter because an edge could have just like broken in really easily and gone the Titanium. So right. they needed her not to be there for the heist to work. They're too overpowered with an edge. These are all excellent, excellent points. Yeah, they are. She's an invaluable asset, as uh, I like to call her. But, like, it's true. She, and for me, she I kind of liked the implication there that they're making that relationship work while not compromising either one of them, That like, for who they are. She always wanted to, throughout the whole series, she wanted to become the wraith. You know, she wanted to make some sort of impact on, on the slaving industry. And she wanted to do exactly what she's doing. And Kaz wanted to stay and he wanted to run the barrel. And they're both doing those things while obviously still caring very deeply for each other. So I don't know that, that left me in a good spot about them. I agree. Totally. So they, they heist then, but before they heist, we get this really cool scene with the camp of, um, people who are are near the entrance to this place and i think my favorite moments like in retrospect are just Kaz has a moment with both with both zoya and nikolai where he's kind of like dropping wisdom on them and i love it but like he pulls off this whole thing up like that the suli are gonna let zoya in because he's somehow figured out of course he has that zoya is suli Okay, so I have that in my notes because uh, he says the, the Suli never forget their own General Nazielinski, just like crows. But like, how did he find that out? My only guess would be that because he says Suli never forget their own, and Suli maybe, and she's obviously probably been in contact with the Suli again since she's free. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. she found out and told Kaz. How does Kaz know anything? I mean. I, I, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all but yeah i love that moment and like what he says to her at the end that the suli never forget their own is just you know part of zoya's arc as we'll talk about in the rest of the episode is her reckoning with like who she is on multiple different levels including her suli identity and to find that that place and that support i think really means something for her and it forces her hand because no one else knows that at that point but i i like that he brings that out of her um that scene is just really funny too at one point like the Suli are circling and Kaz says to 
And he's like, it might be a good time to pull the king card. And Wylan's like, what king card? <laughs> Which, like, again, goes to sh- show that Kaz, like, is not going to trade and on these secrets. Like, he's not, in the couple of years, essentially, that we are past Six of Crows, he's not revealed that Nikolai is, is Sturmhund. Like, he's kept that to himself. And that's great. Love that for him. Yeah, Kaz is just dropping these like one-liners of wisdom throughout this entire section. It's fantastic. And a lot of it is, you know, uh, you know, better to get fat on information than starve on good manners is one of my like favorite quotes. Um, he says, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, what he says to Zoya and uh, about the Suli and, you know, crows never forgetting their, he's just like, mm-hmm. Doing really well. I think. He gives Nikolai a lot of really good advice, I think, about kind of embracing that inner demon. He also has a great line where once he sees that inner demon, he says, all the saints and their ugly mothers. I love that. That's my favorite cast quote. Well, there's like nothing that can ruffle this this guy. And then he exactly. sees like a demon. I, I have that down on my notes too. I'm like, it takes a lot to shake Kaz Brecker up. And yeah. he is clearly astonished in that moment. But then he has like the shortest refractory period of anyone. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, like we're rolling. Let's, let's roll with this. But I love that he, he, what you said, Tasia, about how he says a word of advice from one bastard to another. Sometimes it's best to let the demon have its day. And then he like drops out of the. Mm-hmm. It's literally my favorite quote. It's yeah. like, other than the last line of this book, like yeah. that's my favorite quote in the book. But it's so good because, you know, there's so many parallels between Kaz and Nikolai the fact that they're on this heist, of course they're on this heist. They're both like, this is right up both of their wheelhouses. And it was so fun to see, but that is what Kaz's whole kind of journey is. in the six of crows duology is this, you know, juxtaposition between like who he's buried down deep inside that a nudge kind of sees that he has in him, but like this outside persona of bastard of the barrel of dirty mm-hmm. hands. And he's used that to his advantage and to great success. And he's been able to do a lot of good with it. And ultimately that's what we get from Nikolai in this book. And he's also acknowledging now that he has a conscience. I think older Kaz like in, or younger Kaz in six of crows duology would not have acknowledged like just full out that he had the conscience, but he's also showing that now too, because when he tells Nikolai that his parents have been released from exile, he had nothing to gain from doing that. He did that just to kind of be kind, just to warn him, nothing to gain for it. So it's a peace offering. It's a sign that like he can be trusted, a sign Mm -hmm. to them that he can be trusted, but yeah, no, that's just kindness. Absolutely nothing to gain from that. And I mean, and who is Kaz to ever just give out free information that he could use potentially? Or, like, never. Yeah. So I, I know I love that for him. We are going to have a brief superlative section at the end of this. So Jesse can highlight her favorites. But we said we weren't going to really do character or, or character arc. But I do think that, like, this is such a good natural continuation and a demonstration of where we hoped and where we wanted Kaz to be by the end of Crooked Kingdom, and he was set up for the, that, I think, at the end. But to see it kind of in action is... And if this is indeed the final book in the Grishaverse, it's a good cap on his character to show that he has done that work and he has continued that that character arc. Yeah. There's so many rewarding things. And I there's so many rewarding things upon rereading this section. Like, obviously, the walking stick thing and um, 
there's a quote about Zoya being the queen that I totally like glossed over upon um, my first read. But then there's just the line where Nikolai says, Mr. Brecker is the best insurance of all. He's proven himself useful and he'll literally like proved himself, prove himself even more useful to the queen Zoya at the end. Uh, So uh, it just, (laughs) she, she just sprinkles these things. And I never would have, consideredly as someone that that does that is you know like I was on your raven cycle episode one of your raven cycle episodes and we talked about how well Maggie Stiefvater has sprinkled you know breadcrumbs throughout her books and how seamlessly she does it and I love Lee's writing especially in in these later books but I never really would have considered her as someone like artful in that that type of writing but like clearly this was so well plotted out and well thought out and um it's just sort of masterful and it's enjoyable. Yeah. I had the same exact thought, Jesse. I was like, this is very Steve Otter of her to like seed these things in so early. And like you said so earlier about, yeah, about the, you know, we're, we're talking of Queens, not Kings. And when you think about it now, it's like that came from a seer. Like they had just thought about how the, I think it was the Jackal mask in Suli culture was, was, um, sacred to them and it only only powerful seers could wear that and that's who said like <laughs> that's a seer that was incredible that was a look at the future right there it was great any other uh specific heist thoughts friends i do want to talk about waylon being like reminding nikolai and zoya of yes yes <laughs> so sad go for it what are your thoughts i mean i know that you'll i'm, I'm guessing that you'll devote a uh a, a pretty substantial part of the greater episode about about David, but his death is just like absolutely horrifying, and I refused to believe it until I'd actually read the, the funeral scene. Grief is really uh, something that Lee writes so well, um, especially in the Nina and Matthias parts of King of Scars, as well as in this book, and how it never really leaves you. And so the fact that they continuously think about David is just really lovely, and it reminds you as the reader that he's not totally gone. But then to have Waylon be the person that they are imagining um, that David would would like and that they would get along and just speak the same language, it just makes me really, really emotional. Um, is just emerging of just like all these things that, I love and I love about the books and yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's such a good moment to like leading up, you know, there's been, a, there was a lot of that in the book too. Zoya's whole arc being about like loving other people and like opening herself up to love and building off of her thoughts about David and, and Jenny and how she really needed them. And they were her really good friends and then being there for, for Jenny during the funeral. And then this moment that, where they, kind of know immediately what they're both thinking of each other is really lovely and i love this for our little smarty pants wyland like it's so great and it's so great to see too when we talked about this in our episode before but like you know he has his issues with reading and his inability to do so and like look at him still being like the smartest kid in catterdam love it for him when i think of like fine found families this is pretty much this and maybe the Raven cycle are my archetypes of like what I want about in a found family story. And yeah. it's so gratifying. I think Tasia, when we were discussing this, 
this book, you called it like the one of the greatest series finales, um, like yeah. a TV show finale where they bring everybody back and have all the arcs make sense. And that just mm-hmm. really feels so rewarding, particularly with the crows, because they suffered so much in their individual book. So to see them happy and continuing on their arc from the book, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, everything's great. Like all their issues are done. Like clearly that's not the case, but just they're progressing and, and moving forward. And even the glimpse that we get of Inej at the end of the book, you know, she's, and that what we hear about her, that she's successful in what she's doing. She's, you know, living out her dream and, and, you know, getting to, to see the coronations of, of a part Suli queen and, and how lovely that must be for her. And so just to see how we're, it's just so rewarding. And I feel so, so incredibly lucky that we got this in this book. For real. Seriously. Uh, should we talk about the image stuff then at the end now, since you kind of cheated up for us there, Jesse? Because I was nervous. I, if I had to put money on one person going into this book that we were definitely going to see, it, I thought it was going to be an edge. And then the whole book was going, going, going. We still hadn't seen her. And so to see her pop up at the coronation was excellent. I love her like catching a glimpse of Alina because we know from Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom that she was like obsessed with the Sun Summoner and Sancta Alina. And she catches a glimpse of her and is like, uh, like Alina, like, no, 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 that's, that's just a friend from the country. I know Alina, that is so distinct, like so distinct. Come on, put a wig on or a scarf or something, like, <laughs> like glowing white hair. Anyway, did like Inej and Nina because I, I loved their friendship so much in Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, and I, I was really happy that they at least got to have an interaction in this one, even it though we didn't a- actually get to see it. But then we're not done yet. <laughs> Is this the absolute best last line of a book that's ever been? Maybe. What's better than this? All is well. <laughs> <laughs> burn would you like to read it jesse i have to put on my best like soya (laughs) (laughs) the hair flip (laughs) get a message to the crow club she said tell kaz brecker the queen of ravga has a job for him (laughs) excellent excellent soya first yeah so good but wow Wow. Okay. So screamed like, ah. and like, how are you? I mean, she obviously she's left herself an open door there, but she didn't just leave herself an open. She like blew that shit off. How are you not going to walk through that? Like, right. like yeah. you, you gotta. So Aubrey, our friend who's on another part of this episode uh, here with us today, finished first. And we asked her to give us a, not like a spoiler free, review and one of the things she said was and she's definitely writing another book and so I was like I don't know like what does that mean I did not think it was going to be this it was really exciting that it was this but then on pub day like Lee was doing some interviews where she like was doing a question and answer and you know she's talked about this being like in her mind like it could be the last Grisha verse book but she said something like I left myself a door open and I haven't decided yet whether I'm not just going to like let the readers imagination run with it or if I'll take it for myself. But then I've also read things where she's kind of said, like, I do like know the other story in the past too. She's said, you know, I'm, I'm could write more about the crows, but you have to remember, like, that means that they'll have to be suffering again. Like they're not going to just have like a happy, like a little heist tale. 
It's like, do we want it? I don't know. If if this is it, I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as I said to both of you guys off air, the fact that Kaz and Inez were such a critical relationship in the Six Crows duology and we do not get a direct interaction with them makes me think she can't be done. They're so important. She likes writing these books. Like the fact that she... I mean, because we, we've had a, a couple of discussions off pod about whether or not this heist scene would be considered, you know, fan servicey, which isn't necessarily a term that I really like. Like, what's wrong with being fan servicey? Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it, it adds to the book. It breaks up a lot of the, the tension throughout. And it's a nice, like, wrap up. And there are a lot of reasons that it really works for me. Um, and it feels earned, not necessarily. I agree, though. Like, fan service is not, I think, an inherently bad thing. People just take it that way like just because something does service the fans does not mean that it isn't also narratively rich and, exactly. and authentic and organic and she likes writing them clearly you can you can totally she loves tell Cass. yeah so she loves Cass. It, it wouldn't be surprising to me if she did just want to write more i mean there's, there's the, the television show which is i'm guessing going to be fairly successful like all the word of mouth I've seen is pretty good. Yeah, and the yeah. crows are probably a big part of that. So capitalizing on the success of the TV show might be something that she would want to do. I don't know. I don't know if I want it. I'm fine not having it. Whatever she wants to give us, I'm not going to yeah. demand anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I, you know, I think too, one of the things that makes me like not want to have it is part of what we've also talked about when it comes to, the Nina and Hannah storyline is like, I just, and you know, I continue to struggle with my feelings and thoughts on that, but like, it's really hard for me to see like her without the crows, I think. And even though I'm, I'm happy and it's natural that you should have friends outside of that main circle. And I bring that up because I, I can't imagine they write, they have another crows book and we don't get like new people. And I don't know, like, how I'll feel about them interacting with the crows and, you know, Silver Six forever. Yeah, the absence of Nina. Right. How can you have another crows book without Nina? And then it's like, I don't really want to go to Fierda. And you're right about the the conflict, too. Like, I don't necessarily want to read about them, like, nearly dying a hundred times. Like, maybe they are just happier in my head and I should let them be there. Yeah. So, I mean, if she wants to continue expanding out the Grishaverse and having occasional need to bring in Kaz Barker and his crew, like, that could be very great, too. Cameos forever. Also, I, I still wouldn't mind, like, an Inej novella because I want to hear about Captain mm-hmm. Gaffa's, like, adventures on the high seas. Mm-hmm. And that would also be a different way to to bring it in. Like, an Inej-centered book, and she has to, like, have as helper in some way. Well, now that we've written Six of Crows 3. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse, before we go, would you like to do your mini superlative section? I would love to. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. So, I mean, we already talked about most of the things, but um, I'm just going to reiterate them because they're my favorite. Um, So favorite character is obviously Kaz. My boy, he's so wise. I love him so much. (laughs) My favorite quote is the one that Corinne read earlier. Um, A word of advice from one bastard to another. Sometimes it's best to let the demon have its day. The cable dropped and Kez Brecker was gone. His entrances and exits are so (laughs) fantastic. Like every single one is like dramatic and wonderful. We stand a dramatic bitch like that. I love it. (laughs) 
But just ugh, it, it just makes me so happy because you know you just know that Kaz like if he didn't really trust Nikolai and Zoya, if he didn't think that they were good people, he wouldn't do any of this for them. And it's mm-hmm. just so important that they have Kaz's um, like acceptance because he's so hard to please. He like distrusts all authority for rightly so, you know, reasons. And it's just such a, like, such a great moment. He's giving advice, great advice that Nikolai thinks about. And it's just, it's so good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I have two best swoon moments. Um, Mm -hmm. The first is when um, Nikolai mentions an edge and Kaz like stumbles a little bit (laughs) because it reminds me of the moment in think is it crooked kingdom where nina's coming down from perem and she tells inej that every time kaz looks at her his heart like like skips a beat basically yeah just like (laughs) it just reminded me of that moment because he like can't even hear her name without like having you know this is kaz brecker you know we thought he was a beggar just a few pages ago and now Mm -hmm. he's his he has tells right he spends his whole life trying not to have tells and he has one when they mention her name and i love it and i spooned over it and then um my other one is a line from jesper and he says i believe in all kinds of things ghosts gnomes true love i love it so much it's so so cute well you've not heard the last i think of jesse and the creatureverse (laughs) Because uh, as we've talked about before, we are going to cover the show here on Active Age. The whole Grishaverse gang will be will be back for that one. And I didn't yes. have to threaten anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was asked politely back. invited <laughs> to the podcast for that. So yeah, keep an eye on our feeds for that. And um, even when the Grishaverse is over, it's not the end of Jesse here on Active Age. Just get ready. Thank it's you. more coming. So. Right, thanks, Jesse. Thank you so, so, so much. I can't wait to listen. Bye. Bye. So, thoughts, issues, things that we might want to talk about, just kind of grand scheme, plot points, things like that in this book. I mean, we haven't talked about Shuhan. Well, you know, here's the thing with Shuhan. We were talking about this when we... We're reading the book. How how Lee was going to build up a whole new country out of nothing. We never mm-hmm. really heard much about them before. And how could that be rewarding? And I think she actually nailed it. I do think she did a good job. I felt, I felt like it was maybe a, too little too late to build the yeah. Shuhan up and to give us characters in there to to root for and, and plot lines for us to want to follow. And I do think she accomplished that for sure. But I still feel like I don't really have much to say about it. Well, here's I'm what just, I, I was like, that was good, but I don't. Here's what I like about it. The more I think about it, we had in the Six of Crows duology, two game changers added to this world in terms of power and building upon Greece power, Karem and these winged soldier thing. Mm-hmm. And we continue to see the ramifications of all of that here in this duology. And I really like that we do get as to these winged soldiers, their origin stories, why they were created, and the horrible effect of them, because they're truly terrifying when they pop up in Crooked Kingdom. And to see, to humanize them, and to see what has happened to them, we got a lot of humanization of Grisha in, on Param in the Six of Crows duology, but we didn't get to see where these winged soldier 
scary things came from. So I did mm-hmm. like that perspective of things. And that actually did really work for me. Um, and then on the battlefield too, I thought, Oh there, my God, it was, it was, it was really so it was, beautiful. It was really good. It was interesting. You know, Lee does this and kind of both um, King of Scars and this, in this book, she gives us a different POV in the back half. And here it was Mayu. It's an, I like that because we got Isaac in the last book who she loved when she was, masquerading as princess airy we get to Mm -hmm. see her rumination on that i think it's really interesting the shoe hierarchy of like the queen picks their next heir but the queen actually picked Eru, and instead her sister like usurped that because she wants to make shuhan powerful actually really worked for me i i don't know that it was too little too late because i it felt like a natural continuation of what we got in king of scars vis-a-vis Isaac and his relationship with with who was actually Mayu. And I liked it. I thought it was very clever too to have Mayu's twin be one of the wing soldiers. Mm-hmm. We know a lot about twins in this world from Tamara and Tolia. And it's nice to see them have like a counterpoint in the importance of it and the connection she feel that Mayu feels with her brother. I liked I liked that a lot. I I also do think it was important to sort of like redeem her, her representation of Shuhan, especially as one of the only cultures in this world that is obviously uh, non-white and, and to have had them kind of be this nameless, faceless evil throughout all of these, the entire Grishaverse. Yeah. And so I do think it was necessary for her to humanize them and to give us characters because i mean we had tamar and tolia we had kue we've had characters that were from shuhan that we could love and that we you know we knew to show that you know all of shuhan wasn't evil as they were being represented but we did need some we needed more than that i think and so i did appreciate that i think to one of the things i really liked ultimately about this book is a, the return to politics. I and mean, we talked about this in King of Scars. That I liked the political aspect of that book more than like the same stuff that we get at the back mm-hmm. end. And I like that this book is way more politics and it, it, it builds on some of what we already knew about Ravka. But then, too, it gives us more about like larger issues of justice which I really liked and, and, and differences within this world. And I think, you know, we didn't talk about this above, which I meant to was the fact that Zoya is Suli. And, and we talked about it a little bit in the, the crow section too, about how we have this big reveal with Kaz and it's so well done, but I liked a lot of how we kind of peppered in these sentiments of like, okay, we're going to have a ruler who's from a different people than, than Ravka. Um, she's, they, and they accept her. Like That's really great. We've learned so much about Suli throughout Six of Crows to um, and Inej's connection to her people. And um, so I, I like seeing that. Plus like the Shuhan, we get more information about them and how like these, these binaries don't exist. And it really kind of points towards hopefully this whole world becomes more inclusive and more accepting and for all of these reasons, because we've got 
Bearden's the ruled by Nina now, the, it, ruled by Grecian. We've so there's a lot more like I don't want to say like simulation because that's not right. We actually talked a lot about this in our Ray Bearer episode. That's not mm-hmm. the goal, but an acceptance of differences and recognizing of differences and seeing them as strengths versus something to be erased. And celebrating diversity. I like that. I like that a lot too. Yeah, I, I liked through Zoya's reveal that she is, uh, her father was Suli. We get a lot of ruminations on on what that means for her and what that means, like how, how the Suli are viewed in Ravka. And Nikolai thinks the old laws restricting Suli land ownership and travel had been abolished even before his father's time, but prejudice was harder to wipe from the books. And I think that's just a really important concept in general, just because that that's applicable to our times now. Like, yes, discrimination laws were, you know, like the civil rights movement happened in the sixties and yet we are still so deeply ingrained in this system of oppression and racism that you can't say like, Oh, we fixed this. There is no fixing it without a dismantling and a rebuilding. Right. So, and I, I like that for, for Zoya that she, she doesn't, She's she's not just the soldier queen. She's not just the the Grisha queen. She's also the Suli queen of Ravka. Yeah. And that's the key, right? Like that's how you kind of make some of these changes is you have a person mm-hmm. like her in power and it's, that's really great. And we love to see it. And then we also yeah. just get kind of like big, powerful moments for the Grisha here, which are really great. And you have this other moment that I loved in the final battle. Oh yeah. This... <laughs> And this moment literally made me cry for some reason. I think it was just the middle of the night and I was <laughs> tired and emotional and trying to read this book as fast as possible. It's on the battlefield and the Fyrdens had been um, using uh, Jerda as a chemical weapon essentially to uh, fuck up all of the Grisha during battle. And so the Grisha had start started to wear masks into battle. And he yeah. thinks the drug had changed everything, made the the Grisha vulnerable in ways they had never been. But they refused to wear those masks as emblems of weakness or fragility. They painted them with fangs and curling tongues, gaping mouths. They looked like gargoyles descending onto the field in their in their combat kefta. And it was a little They're bit so powerful. much. Yeah, it's so powerful. I love it. It's it's that's like taking their weaknesses and just making them strengths. It's mm-hmm. great. Love it. Good book. Despite good like, oh, <laughs> very good, a great. If this is it, if this is what she's leaving us with in the Grishaverse, I'm happy with it. And we talked I am to, too. We talked about it in both of our segments with respect to the Darkling, the Crows, with Aubrey, and mm-hmm. Crows with Jesse that about our thoughts on the end. And I think we kind of covered most of our feelings there about how, like, honestly, all the character arcs are pretty good at this point. I don't think I need more. I mean, I'll take yeah. it, and I. I say that because like, I trust now that Lee will, if she's going to tell a story, it's going to have purpose and it's going to be intentional because honestly, King of Scars a little bit kind of felt like, why are we shaking some of these things up again? And then mm-hmm. she nailed it all here. So yeah. I trust her. She's got carte blanche as far as I'm concerned, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be okay if we don't get anything else. Should we do some superlatives? Yeah. All righty. <laughs> going to be long. Uh, so- okay. Favorite quote. I have a couple 
serious ones and a couple of funny ones. So I guess we can do a rotation. My actual favorite quote is the last line of this book, which is send a message to the crow. Yeah. Tell Kaz Brecker, the queen of Bravka has a job for him. Just incredible. (laughs) So that's one. Would you like to go? Well, my first one is one that you mentioned in the first episode, I think it was, there is no secret self. I'm not going to reveal another me to you. I'm not going to be tamed by you. I am the King's general. Love it. This one I really love too. Uh, we talked about it in the cruise segment, but it's just so great. A word of advice from one bastard to another. Sometimes it's best to let the demon have its day. My two favorite boys, Kaz so dropping wisdom on Nikolai. It's, it's <laughs> too much. I love it. I love this kind of, perfect encapsulation of these characters right here. Um, Of course, it won't last, said Zoya. What does? True love, suggested Tamar. Great art, said Tolia. A proper grudge, replied Zoya. It's big. uh, What's the best way to steal a man's wallet or whatever? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's good. What favorite things about this book is like Loki, Jenya's continuous ribbing of Nikolai very funny to me so I have a couple of quotes mm-hmm. that go to this you will sit yourself down and let me make sure you don't have a concussion then you will have a cup of tea and then if i'm feeling generous you can talk to david about things that explode you do realize i'm the king do you nikolai looked to david for help but david just shrugged. i don't argue with my wife when she's right oh fine said nikolai but i want a cookie with my tea <laughs> and then also this I've never had more fun and to think I had a queen at my wedding and a king, Nikolai said with false indignation. She waved him off. Your old news. Her gown was just divine. <laughs> Great. See, so, yeah, I've got Nikolai. Tell them the demon king rules Ravkin now and vengeance is coming. Hell yeah. It was just like, yeah. Yeah, so good. Uh, I like this because this is a sentiment we all can agree with when it comes to weddings. <laughs> I'm very fond of weddings, particularly the part where I can start drinking. Nikolai is all of us. Retweet. And then this one is just, I'm going to start using this as an insult daily. That uncooked cutlet wouldn't dare to otherwise. And that's Redvin talking about the prince in Fjorda. So funny. So funny. The visual, but it makes so much sense. Okay. So actually, no, this isn't hard for once for me. Uh, Favorite character and favorite character arc. Uh, my favorite character arc is undisputedly so yeah yeah same i mean i'm not gonna no litigate it yeah that's it mm-hmm. it's all there is favorite character for me i mean I, it's like making me choose between the two of them is really hard so i'm gonna say both nikolai and zoya yeah it's the same for me it's nikolai and zoya for sure um i'm not gonna nope i'm not gonna think about it more yeah. than that also shout out to every single one of the the crow babies yes i mean yes just so existing in this book um i would like to give a also a shout out briefly to general kerrigan who who really comes through that and he's a real stand-up guy in this in these books he's a huge advocate for zoya he advocates for her not once but twice in that last scene and finally when she reveals that she's suli he he steps forward and he says, are the Suli not known for their far-seeing and their resilience, he asked the chamber? Nikolai was going to have to give that man a medal, or maybe Zoya would. And it's just like, yeah. I love it. it he's great. kind of quietly just like a down motherfucker in, in all of these books. Like, he's just hanging out, looking great, like uh, really drinking wine, yeah. and, and helping, like, giving them money or a space 
spaces to build their shit and trying to flirt with Zoya very badly and just like being a, being a cool dude. Yeah. And he's like, he's not like, okay, well she won't be with me. So I'm fuck her. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it's, he's, he's great. I enjoy that. Okay. Favorite wound. (laughs) Buckle in. Buckle in. Okay. Should we just, yeah, go, go one at a time. Yeah. I want you to go first. All right. What they had endured on the fold had connected them in some way, and he knew he would see Zoya when he turned. Yet the sight of her struck like a sudden change in the weather. A drop in temperature, a crackle of electricity in the air, the feeling of a storm coming on. The, the wind lifted her black hair, the blue silk of her kefta whipping around her frame. Your heart is in your eyes, your highness, murmured Tamar, wiping the sweat from her brow. That's like, <sighs> this is the second time in this episode we're going to be referencing the Kaz has his breath catching every time he sees a nudge because that's like a very similar sentiment here that I'm getting from from Nikolai and I mm-hmm. could eat it up. My ultimate favorite spoon, if I had to just pick one, but I didn't just pick one. Uh, but <laughs> if I had to pick one is at the end where the Darkling's still just being the Darkling and he's like, you know, it's always going to have a really long life and Nikolai Lanzov dreamboat that he is, says and I will love her from my grave. Like, Let's fucking kill me. It is God. And you can imagine too, this, this is coming on the heels of like 550 pages of swoon. And then like, this is one of the last things. Like, yeah. It's just so much pine. Oh my God. All right. So <laughs> what's your next one? Uh, this was a, another amazing moment between them. He says, don't go. He said, still half asleep. I have to bathe. I smell like a forest fire. You smell like wildflowers. You always do. What can I say to make you stay? His words trailed off into a drowsy mumble as he fell back asleep. Tell me it's more than war and worry that makes you speak those words. Tell me what they would mean if you weren't a king and I weren't a soldier. But she didn't want to hear any of that. Not really. Sweet words and grand declarations were for other people, other lives. She brushed the hair back from his face, placed a kiss on his forehead. I would stay forever if I could, she whispered. He wouldn't remember anyway. Joke on you, Zoya, because he totally heard you. Totally. <laughs> it was like a fever dream, but like this is just like absurdly romantic, right? I can't handle it. Oh my God. It's too much. My next, like really uh swoony one for me is the summation of all of this ribbon shit we <laughs> <laughs> which is like this comes to you on the heels of Nikolai being like I want to propose to her but I'm not just gonna like do it I need to like invent her something that is just like totally impractical and not for anything like queenly but just like for her to have because I love her and I want her to have things and what he does on the morning of her coronation is he gives her plans like blueprints of some stuff he's done for her garden to protect it tied with the blue ribbon and a note that says, I will always strive to make it summer for you. (laughs) I hate them. I hate them so much. How dare I feel this way? I hate it. I know. Catch, catch Corinne and me in the future with matching blue ribbon tattoos. (laughs) All right. I would give you a crown if I could, he said. 
I would show you the world from the prow of a ship. I would choose you, Zoya, as my general, as my friend, as my bride. I would give you a sapphire the size of an acorn. He reached into his pocket. And all I would ask in return is you wear this damnable ribbon in your hair on our wedding day. That whole fucking scene. They're laying in the dark on the airship and they're like, like so much tension. I'm just saying if there are any fanfic writers out there that maybe just wrote a deleted scene of that. We are interested, please. We are very interested. Let us know. Then he says to her, I would make you make fingers. I want you. I want you all the time. Like, like, oh my God. And he thinks that moment, he's like, he felt like he was drunk, but he's like, whatever. I'm saying it. Like, he let the demon out. I kind of like the parallel of like, he'd let the demon out in front of everyone, cast out of the bag. And he's like, fuck it. Like, let's He's riding high on that adrenaline. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. Oh, it's so hot. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have a couple more. I have a funny one because we can't read through this whole podcast without any uh, signature Nikolai Zoya banter. All Saints, are you saying I haven't seen you at your worst? Zoya tossed her hair. If you had, you'd be under the covers, gibbering prayers. A unique way of getting me into bed, but who am I to question your methods? Their, their flirty banter is out fucking rageous. Like at the end when he says, oh God. he's well, all making jokes about her. Or like her taking her dress, her kefta off or something. And and she's like, oh my God, you will not stop until you cause a scandal. And he's like, the demon made me do it. They're like Alina and Jenny are in the room. They're in yeah. the room. It's They're shameless. I love it. Oh, it's so good. Okay. I want to give two brief shout outs to other romantic moments here from some of our other pairs. Um, this from Sweet David. We're going out. Rest in peace. This is their vows at their wedding. I have seen your face in the making at the heart of the world, and there is no one more beloved, Jenny Safin, brave and unbreakable. <laughs> yeah, really good. And then honestly, this was, I, I feel bad, but like one of the only times the romance between Nina and Hannah has worked for me. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. And Nina's like, I'm going to tell you the story. I forget what it is. And her prince smiled. I don't know the story. I'll tell it to you, Nina said. Outside, night was falling and the sky was full of stars. I'll tell you a thousand stories, my love. We'll write the new endings one by one. Very lovely. Yeah. Very, very lovely. The book is a book we read and have healing fun. <laughs> So, friends, thank you for listening <laughs> to this unhinged two-part episode of Rule of Wolves. It was so good. We loved it so much. We could talk about it forever. We probably will be talking about it forever. It's fine. We're fine. You're fine. It's great. Uh, but, <laughs> Nothing to worry about over here. Yeah, no, cool, 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 cool. But we are not done because we didn't like really mean to do this, but this last part here is dropping on Shannon Bone Premiere Day. Oh, my gosh. Yay! And as we have said on all of our great first so episodes, excited. we're so excited for the show. And on that note, our next episode, which is only going to be next week, is going to be a special episode in which we discuss our reactions to the show. It's not going to be structured in any way. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to prepare for it. I'm just going to watch the show. And then it's going to be word vomit. And Right. We're recording, I think, literally two days after the show drops. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going for just the most unhinged, immediate reactions. Correct. And with our Grishaverse pals, yeah. Jesse and Aubrey will be yes. coming back for that one. So it should be completely out of control. Yep. So we're looking forward to it. Happy Shadow and Bone release day. 
to us all, to those who celebrate. And especially uh, to today. you, Ben Barnes. And especially to you, Ben Barnes. I take back everything I ever said on this podcast about the Darkling. I don't really. But I will. <laughs> if you're going to be as sexy as I think you're going to be. We're not talking about you, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, friends, we'll wrap up here. Tasia, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And you can find me on Instagram at written underscore reads. You can find the podcast at Actia Age on Twitter and Instagram. You can shoot us an email at ActiaAgePod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate that. It would be very helpful to us. Other than that, we'll see you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.